spend my dollar. It's not about what you want, it's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to a Back to the Future edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Was that A.J. McCarron, Greg McElroy, or Bryce Young? Was that Derrick Henry, Bo Scarborough, or Brian Robinson? Was that the 2012 defense on display? Or how about the 2020 offensive line? Okay, okay, I get it. The analogy only stretches so far. But the idea remains, this Alabama squad validated our preseason prediction. This offensive unit is prepared to be as multiple and as responsive to its opponent as necessary. The Ole Miss game and the Arkansas game, they similarly demonstrated a diverse, an offensive diversity by the Crimson Tide. And it was good to see. It was great to see that on display against Cincinnati. Now, as for Cincinnati, they belonged and congratulations to them. They are good for college football. But don't mistake that as a ringing endorsement for the group of five or a suggestion that they deserve an annual seat at the table. They don't. Cincinnati proved an edge case, an edge case where previously one didn't exist or perhaps one wasn't allowed. Good on Cincinnati for breaking that new ground. Besides, they showed better than others. Washington comes to mind, Michigan State comes to mind, last year's Notre Dame comes to mind, and oh, the game that followed ours, Michigan certainly laid an egg that Cincinnati did not. Look, even the Bearcats understand the point here. If and when Cincinnati makes it back to the playoffs, it'll be as a member of the Big 12. All right, enough preamble. Let's deliver the goods. Offense, you're up. Let's go. All right, so let's jump in talking about offense. And look, we normally talk about Bryce first, and for good reason. And uh, we're going to set that aside. We are going to talk about Bryce, but we're going to set that aside, and we're going to talk about Brian Robinson. 26 carries, 204 yards, 7.8-yard average. He's almost a first down against Cincinnati, almost a first down every time he touches the ball. If this were a police report, the blunt force trauma to the head, it wouldn't be like a hammer-shaped object where clearly there's an indention, a circular indention. It wouldn't be like a bat where there's a long sort of cylinder uh, indention. There would be a Brian Robinson-shaped indention in the heads of Cincinnati uh, were that truly the case. The running game was on fire all day long. Trey Sanders even had a, a, a good day, uh, one of his better days in several weeks. He had 14 carries for 67 yards, just short of a five-yard average, and he came really close to breaking uh, a couple of runs. I was really hoping he would because I just have an affinity for uh, Trey Sanders, his recovery from his injuries, and just his talent that he's yet to fully tap into. I was hoping he would break one off. Uh, He did not, but I still think he has one in him. Cincinnati's 3-3 stack. Look, a lot of this we knew kind of – we maybe wouldn't have gone so far as to predict it, but we saw – Uh, We saw how this could line up. Cincinnati plays a 3-3 stack, which by design you run teams out of that. Cincinnati historically uh, over the course of this season has given up rushing yards to uh, their opponents this season. 
typically their mindset is, and other teams do this too. Arkansas uh, did this to, uh, to an extent uh, this season. You try to force long drives, and the opponent is going to make uh, a mistake. Uh, Cincinnati largely stuck with that approach throughout the game, and uh, Alabama didn't really force the issue, didn't need to force the issue. Uh, I do think if you compare talent, the top five, six, eight, maybe ten players, I think that the rosters match up well. Uh, when you get to the 22, when you get to 45, uh, players are going to rotate through the game. I think Alabama looked at it's sort of the long game here and said physically – we out we can outmatch Cincinnati. That was our attack going in. That was sort of our option one going in, and it proved itself. Uh, the first drive, uh, I think, really solidified the point, and it became a long day from there. We've seen Alabama in the past. We did this last year against Notre Dame. We haven't always done this, but we did this last year against Notre Dame. Once the game is in hand, let's start reining things back in. It was a lower score last year against Notre Dame than it could have been, and I think probably the 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 same is true against. Uh, against Cincinnati this year, uh, that you're going to let us stick with the run, then we're going to stick with the run. And we did not force the issue passing the ball, uh, although we did have some success uh, passing the ball, Alabama. Bryce uh, was human but effective. He had three touchdowns and uh, one interception. A couple of the touchdowns were really off of uh, the running action, and I think more of that could have been available. Jamison you got to love Jamison Williams and what he's done for the Tide this year. And the role that he played Saturday was a little unique. Uh, he was a little bit of a possession receiver with Mechie out. And he was a little bit of a decoy because we knew that the Cincinnati defense was was keen and gearing on him. Uh, the this, the uh, TV crew, they were talking about when J-Mo went out, and we're going to talk about that, when J-Mo went out, that they were running up and down their sidelines. He's out. He's out. He's out. And they all knew who they were talking about. They're talking about J-Mo because that's who they were they were keyed up on. And uh, certainly he came back in and, and played. But the fact that uh, that contributes to my assessment that, that he did play a decoy role. Uh, and then we saw, uh, speaking of, uh, speaking of de- decoy, we saw Ja'Cory Brooks sort of reprise his hero uh, hero role. He went uh, four catches for 66 yards and his 44 yarder just before half, I think sent a message that was worth more than the seven points. This Alabama team can still pass the ball down the field against the the Cincy secondary. And it doesn't have to be Mechie who's not available. And it doesn't have to be Jamison making those plays. Other receivers could have uh, stepped up and again, I think it was on a need basis. Alabama didn't need to go uh, to a J- Javon Baker, although he was targeted once. Didn't need to go to an Jai Hall. Uh, did not need to roll out a whole wing of the offense based on the tight end, uh, although uh, both of the primary tight ends both, uh, did have catches and significant ones at that. Uh, Cam uh, Robinson had one for nine yards. It was a touchdown. Billingsley had for one uh, had one catch for twelve. It was a first down. On the possession where Alabama missed a field goal, and uh, and that was a pass that was thrown when Alabama was at the eight-yard line. So uh, definitely uh, sort of behind the sticks and definitely behind uh, well into our own territory. And so we talk about do the coaches trust Billingsley. We see time and time again uh, the coaches do trust Billingsley. They went to him on a second down deep in Alabama's territory. I think that speaks to uh, a level of trust there. I loved the option play, the design of the option play uh, to Cam. Uh, there was a defender that sort of, I think, distracted Cam, and he didn't turn around a little bit, so the pitch was 
was forward when Bryce was just half a step across the line of scrimmage. It was the right call uh, to pull that back. But I think if Cam had gotten his head around, Bryce was waiting to pitch it and waiting to pitch it and just the, sort of the clock in his head relative to the line of scrimmage, uh, it was just a little off, and so we missed on that. But we talked about the option pitch against Georgia, that we loved that and, and, and even commented that Bill O'Brien better be taking notes because there's something there. There's, there's an opportunity uh, in that. And to see us design that, that was truly a designed play. The George, the, the play against Georgia, I don't know if that was designed or not, uh, but the play against uh, Cincinnati certainly was. And I think there's, there's more of that available. That will certainly be uh, a fun thing to watch. Uh, the offensive line, definitely want to talk about the offensive line. I thought they played well. Uh, they gave up four hur- hurries and two sacks. But as a whole, I thought they played very, very well. There were points in the game where we were we had a new we had a set of five that had not played uh, together, and so that became sort of a a learning curve on the fly. Uh, Seth started at center, only his second start, uh, only his third, and uh, not in backup duty, only his third game, and uh, those are the last three games he came in about halftime for Dalcourt uh, against uh, against Auburn, started against Georgia and then uh, started the SEC or started uh, the round one game. There was some talk that Dalcourt might be back, that he's practicing, that he's looking good again. It's hard. Uh, Dalcourt may be wildly pipped. Uh, he may uh, be wildly pipped with there because Seth is playing so well that I would hate to take him out. Uh, Emil Ekior did go out with an injury, and J.C. Latham came in, freshman J.C. Latham, 65. We've been talking about ever since the preseason that – He's going to earn a starting role. We thought it would be talent, and we thought it would be right tackle. Uh, he is talented. Don't uh, don't mishear me there. But we thought he would beat someone out as opposed to stepping in uh, for injury. But I thought he acquitted himself well. There is talk that uh, Ekior's shoulder that he could uh, that he could be back for the round one game. As much as I like Latham, as much as I think he has potential and talent ahead of him, I think I have to go with hoping Ekior's back uh, to health and that he's playing. I'm not picking favorites here. I just we've seen Ekior do it more in, in these pressure situations, and he's done it against uh, Georgia. Latham hasn't. That's going to be a tough stage for him to get his first start. So I'm hoping Ekior uh, is able to come back healthy. Uh, Chris Owens was uh, injured at a point in the game. And so hopefully he's going to be uh, back. Uh, I thought Chris Owens played, I don't want to say well, but I thought he played okay. Um, He did give up uh, a number of penalties. It seemed like every time there was a flinch, it was Owens. Uh, One was, one was Kendall Randolph, but, uh, but uh, it seemed like all of the others were Owens. And I do hate that. Although I do want to give him props. And in fact, I'm going to go mini game ball just to prove I'm not a total jerk on the right tackle, Chris Owens, as, as much as I've said about him. He does bring something to the table, and he has played better since uh, he's returned to the field from his benching. And uh, maybe I'm giving him credit here that I shouldn't, but I'm going to err on the side of giving him the credit. There was a Cincy uh, defensive lineman that crossed the line of scrimmage, and um, Chris Owens jumped while the defender was across the line of scrimmage, and I'm giving Owens credit uh, for that being a savvy sixth-year senior move uh, to catch the defense off uh, offsides, and I think that uh, resulted in a first down. I may be off. I may be giving him credit where he doesn't deserve, uh, but um, nonetheless, I am giving uh, Chris Owens credit 
for that play. All right, let's flip the field. I felt like I went through offense really fast, but I'm looking at my notes. I covered all the stuff I wanted to cover, so that is good. Let's flip the field and uh, talk defense. And uh, this Alabama defense, I do think they were the story of the game. The running backs, of course, uh, but the defense I do think was the story of the game. They played like they were barricading the house. Uh, I think this was the best performance uh, by the defense uh, all season. Mississippi State might argue that. Uh, New Mexico State might argue that. Uh, but uh, Cincinnati, I think, would uh, uh, would argue that they got Alabama's finest uh, defensive performance as well. Uh, Alabama held the Bearcats to 218 total yards, 74 yards rushing. That's a 2.8 uh, average. Boy, if you're holding uh, a team under three uh, rushing the ball, then uh, then you're doing work, and uh, that makes those running downs really, really expensive. Uh, Alabama likewise held um, Bearcats passing to 144. Uh, Bearcats were 2 of 12 on third down, uh, 0 for 3 on fourth downs. Um Alabama had six sacks, six, uh, eight uh, tackles for loss, and six uh, pass deflections. Now think about this, six pass deflections of 32 pass attempts. That's 19% of the attempted passes that were batted down, and many of those were batted down at the line of scrimmage. And we all, I love when we interview Saban, and he gives us a term or a phrase or a name for something we've never heard before. Talk about the rabbit rushing and the rabbit nickel or a nickel rabbit. And, and he talks about these sort of terminology. It's always fun to have him sort of reveal something uh, to us from a, a naming standpoint. And when he talks about getting, the, especially defensive linemen, getting their hands up, uh, he called that matching the hand. So when the quarterback goes to back to pass, you get your hand up. There's nothing new sort of in the philosophy there. I just, of course, he's going to have a cool name for it. Match the hand sounds like bend the knee or kiss the ring. And uh, certainly that's what we saw from the Alabama defense. Uh, I thought all three levels of the Alabama defense played a complete game. Uh, that's why I probably do look at this as Alabama's best performance of the season because we saw it across all levels. There are so many individual names that we can call out that played well. Typically, there's two or three or four and maybe a play that we want to spend time with. There's so many individual players that we can name, and I will not name them all, but I'll hit some of the uh, some of the like the Uber highlights. Uh, will Anderson had six uh, tackles and and two sacks, and Will Anderson was the defensive player of the game. And again, he had his level of contribution shown brighter than his stat line. That's just that's just the way that's just the way the kid plays. He's he's amazing. You have to count for him, uh, account for him on every play. And uh, clearly, Cincinnati uh, was, and you have to. It's just the nature of it. Uh, Phil Mathis, I thought maybe had his best day wearing crimson. Uh, he had three tackles, one sack, two TFLs, and two of those match the hand pass deflections. Uh, those are critical. When when and and Ritter's a big dude. He goes six four, six three, six four, and uh, for him to get a, a ball batted down at the line of scrimmage, that's not supposed to happen. You talk about a short quarterback; those are the quarterbacks that are supposed to get uh, the the balls batted down. Uh, but Mathis was right up there, one of those dancing bears. Uh, he was active all day, and was just truly impressive all day. I think when we see him drafted uh, come April. We will see footage. Here's why you draft this guy. We'll see footage from the round one game uh, because he was so active and so effective in uh, in producing 
in delivering for the Alabama defensive uh, front. I thought Brian Branch played probably his best game wearing crimson as well. Uh, eight tackles, half a sack. He had two bass, uh, pass deflections in his own right. Those were out uh, sort of running routes. I think he batted one. Uh, he was blitzing. So we saw him in coverage as well as uh, attacking the line of scrimmage, blitzing, attacking uh, the quarterback. Uh, I think the announcers made a point of, hey, that's smart heads up football there. You know you're not, you're not going to get to the quarterback. And so you regroup and you jump and you try to bat the ball down. Brian Branch did that. I think it's telling that multiple defensive players played their best game of the season and maybe their best game of their Alabama careers against Cincinnati. That's not a knock on Cincinnati. That is patting Will Anderson on the back for his leadership and getting his guys together. It It's a pat on the back to the individual players making the contributions that this is, was a business trip. This is not a, a, a coronation of the SEC game against Georgia. This is going to take care of this business, and this business is what gets us into the next game. And so we had so many guys play what may have been their best game in Crimson. I thought it was really telling. We talk about teams getting better over the course of the season, and we went vast stretches of the season where we did not see that. But you talk about a team that might just be peaking at the right time. No predictions yet, but this Alabama team, I think, is doing that. Uh, DJ Dale, Christian Harris, Toa Toa all had noteworthy uh, performances from a stat line and, and contribution uh, standpoint. Our linebackers have been getting better through the course of the season, and I think we saw that on dis- display. Uh, Dallas Turner uh, had a sack as well. Jordan Battle and DeMarco Helms, they combined for 13 tackles, but they had, they were very quiet. They had a quiet day. Uh, normally we see them batting down a, a couple more passes, maybe an interception, maybe a bonehead play, and we didn't see any of that. Uh, from those guys Saturday. So that was certainly, certainly good. No mistakes is, is what I wrote down in, in terms of their performance. And so quiet by normal standards, but no mistakes also will take it uh, again, combining for 13 tackles. Uh, battle went out with injury. We'll talk about that in just a minute, but he came back. I was a little bit concerned. We start to get really thin in the secondary. We're going to talk about corners, but the fact that battle came back, I think he's, uh, I think he's a leader there in the secondary. This is a third year, and he started for, for all three. He didn't start at the beginning of the season, his freshman season, uh, his freshman year, but he came on, became a starter before the season is out. I credit him as being a three-year starter. And uh, a lot of the leadership and the poise, he's seen it all back there, and he knows how to help uh, people get lined up. So Jordan Battle, number nine, is a player we have to have, and I was, I was relieved to see him come back and uh, continue to contribute. I want to talk about the cornerbacks. Um, in our preseason interviews, we talked about sort of the matchups with our corners and that we're getting deep at the cornerback uh, position. And so I do want to talk about that. I thought uh, we did see Jalen Amar Davis uh, attempt to go, and it just seems his hip. All the reports about practice, and I think there was some bluster there because he very early just didn't look like he could pivot and turn and that he was fully healthy and fully prepared to play. Uh, But he did start uh, number five at the cornerback position. He played opposite uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry, who was stepping in for Josh Job, uh, who elected to have uh, toe surgery for his turf toe. I think that's an indication that Job is going pro. Uh, But Kool-Aid and Jad uh, started at the cornerback positions. Davis clearly and early showed that he wasn't ready. So uh, Juco transfer Kyrie Jackson came in. 
and uh, and and man the the position opposite uh, Kool Aid. A couple interesting things happened there. It was mostly uh, Kyrie Jackson and Kool Aid, number one and number seven. Uh, and then there was a possession where I, I did see sort of a flash of number five. So Jad was was in at one was back in at one corner, and Kool Aid was out, and so Jad was in with Kyrie. And I thought, oh, is that one of those injuries that happened maybe near the sideline that TV's not going to report on? What happened? Uh, what, what happened there? And uh, sort of on the ensuing punt, uh, that's when we fumbled, and uh, McKinstry was in there to, to scoop it up until he was healthy, and then he rotated back in, and Kyrie Jackson and uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry uh, played the rest of the game at the at the corner position. That was an interesting thing to sort of see play out. What we were what were we trying to do there another point of interest and i say this not to uh you know not to make alabama fans nervous but just so that we're aware what's really happening in the secondary we started the season with jalen amar davis and josh job we had a game i want to say maybe it was southern miss where we sat jalen amar davis and josh job both both because they have injuries and the starters for that game were Kool-Aid McKinstry and Marcus Banks. And if you'll remember, Marcus Banks has put his name in the transfer portal. So he's he's no longer on the team. He's no longer uh, contributing. And so when we think about Kyrie Jackson stepping in and starting, and starting opposite uh, Kool-Aid uh, McKinstry, what we really have is our fifth cornerback, Jalen Amar Davis, Josh Job, Marcus Banks, Kool-Aid McKinstry is Kool-Aid the third or fourth, you know, at the beginning of the season. I don't know. Obviously at the beginning of fall camp, he would have been fourth and, uh, and Kyrie played himself into that fifth cornerback position. And so we might be starting against Georgia, our preseason number four and number five cornerbacks. Now that's a headline. You probably won't see anywhere. People will talk about sort of depth, and it, and it might be a little bit misleading because McKinstry has started and he's played very well. He's played a hell of a lot better as uh, uh, than what you would consider a number four cornerback. And uh, and I think Kyrie has has shown out too. The thing about Kyrie that I, that I'll say is he needs to settle down. There were a couple times he seemed a little bit mouthy and he seemed a little bit extra at the point of attack. What we need him to do is settle down. So he doesn't get a penalty. He doesn't get drawn into what might be uh, a penalty and that he stays level-headed to continue to play his, his position. Because I might not be so nervous about Kool-Aid and Kyrie starting at the cornerbacks, but when we start looking at who's our sixth cornerback, if we need to rotate someone in, then I start to get nervous because what might we do? We might have to move Brian Branch from his safety position to the cornerback position. We might have to take a true freshman, uh, Taryn Arnold, who's not played, but just a very little bit in mop-up. We might have to put him at a corner uh, on an island. Malachi Moore, who I really like, but has not played his best ball this season and has missed games due to injury, we might have to bring him in and those things start to make me more nervous, not because I dislike any of the individual players, but because we are getting into a backup plan for a backup plan uh, at that standpoint. So we need Kyrie to uh, maintain his composure. Go back and look at the game and see if, you, if he didn't play with a little bit of extra. A little bit of extra, I'm not mad at categorically, but he needs to understand sort of the larger context. 
And uh, if he goes in there, gets mouthy, gets a penalty, gets ejected, just loses his head uh, in his composure, which is critical for a cornerback position. Uh, those are the types of things that uh, that I start to uh, think about. And so something as fans we should uh, we should watch out for and think about as well. All right, let's wrap up defense with our mini game ball. And, and, and I've tried to get through the whole defensive segment without mentioning his name. Uh, Daniel Wright, he played dime uh, for a Saturday. He subbed in when Jordan Battle went out. And his stat line, he had one tackle for a loss. He had two tackles. And he had a big tackle uh, to end a drive. And I went through – ESPN's play-by-play, and I tried to isolate exactly when it happened so I could wrap some context uh, around it. I could not find a specific reference to him. I think it was a a pass caught where they needed two yards, and he tackled them for a one-yard gain. But nonetheless, he he ended a drive there, got the the ball back in Alabama's hands. And it was a point, if I recall, where Cincinnati was driving. They had a a short field and a short-yarded situation. And Daniel Wright really stepped up and made a spectacular uh, play. And again, he's typically good for a, a bonehead play as well. And we did not see that from him on Saturday. I think this season, he's really matured into his own limited playing time uh, with the guys in front of him. But uh, I think he he played very, very well. And he's a fun player to watch when he's on uh, taking care of his business. All right, let's talk about uh, special teams. And look, if we're sticking with our truly unintentional sort of police blotter theme here, then when we talk about special teams, I would say move along, folks. There's really nothing to see here. Uh, Will Robin, uh, Will uh, Reichert was two of three on field goals. He missed a, a 44-yarder. I don't know if that was just a, a miss or a bad snap or a bad hold, but just the whole battery there seemed a, a little bit off, and so he missed a 44-yarder. Uh, 44 is in his range. His long uh, that Riker hit was a 43, and he made that with distance, so he should have made a 44. He did not. Uh, Burnup, who is now uh, the holder, uh, he had two punts, and he averaged 44. For the life of me, I don't know where. I don't know where that's come from. Uh, he played most of the season where he might be averaging – 36 or 37 in his last couple games, his average have been north of 40. Like he's averaged north of 40 for two games and it's been the last two games. Uh, so we're glad to see that when we need it. Hopefully we're going to see more and more of that. Uh, Alabama did fumble a punt return. It was just sloppy catch. Even the TV announcers said we went back and tried to look at, did he take his eye off the ball? Nope. He didn't take his eye off the ball. He just dropped it. And uh, fortunately Kool-Aid McKinstry was, was there sort of Johnny on the spot to, to pull the ball in. Uh, we've, uh, we have talked about that. If you watch the game and you've listened to the podcast, you've been waiting for this. And so here it comes. The worst stat line on the entire day, and it makes me mad to look at it, uh, was JMO having 15 yards of kickoff return. He did not have 15 yards of kick return. He had a minus 10 on kickoff return. Uh, he took the ball from the goal line. Tackled at the 15, that's not a 15-yard gain. That's a 10-yard loss. They'll give you – it's like Walmart. It's a 25% discount on the length of the field if you'll take it where they kick it. If you'll fair catch it, they'll give you a 25% discount on the field. But you have to abide by the conditions of the discount. He did not abide by the conditions of the discount. So he gets a 15-yard gain, what should be a 10-yard loss, because Alabama should have had the ball on the 25. Oh, and wait – there's more. Yes, the hit on JMO was targeting. I don't care about the missed targeting call. 
He was injured. He went to the tent. There was thoughts that he might not come back into the game. Depending upon the, the injury that he could have had, he might not be available for Georgia. Now, he came back into the game and he's going to be back for Georgia. But if that wasn't a moment where you said, my God, that idiot on that podcast has been talking about this same thing for years and shit, it might cost us. Then you haven't been listening for years. It was not needed. It wasn't a point in the game where Alabama needed a return. It wasn't a point in the game where we needed those points. It wasn't a point in the game where we had to have a critical big return to set up the offense. It wasn't needed. Not a lick of it was needed. Let the ball go through the end zone, get it on the 25, and then go make a play as a wide receiver. Don't try in that situation, don't try to make a big play as a returner. 15 yards worth of kickoff, vomit in my mouth. It's a minus 10. It's an injury that could have cost you the balance of that game, and it could have cost you uh, the ability to play against Georgia. If you know, then you knew that that was coming. And so there you have it. I do want to give a shout out to Clint on the Zoom call. Uh, switching gears. I'm not mad at Clint. I'm mad at JMO for that one play. Uh, so switching gears. Clint nailed it on the Zoom calls. We predict uh, scores. And Clint predicted the, the 27 to 6. And so what Clint doesn't know yet is I'm going to dial him up and he's going to give me some Kino numbers. And we're going to go from there. But uh, good on Clint uh, for the pick there. All right. Exhale. What's next? Uh, Alabama faces Georgia for the national title. College football fans, they say, of course, of course, it's a rematch. We knew this. This was going to happen. Of course, this is the matchup. Honest Alabama fans will say, how is this happening? We resigned ourselves weeks ago that this Alabama team was flawed and not capable of making this far. But here's the deal. Here's the analogy. Alabama fans, the honest Alabama, because Alabama fans are going to say, of course, it's going to happen, da, 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 Nick Saban, all that stuff. All right, there's something to that. But, hey, look, we resigned ourselves weeks ago to this being a two or three lost Alabama team. And so Al- honest Alabama fans, they're like, and I raise my hand, we're like drunks at the bar. Not in an Urban Meyer kind of way, but just, you know, the happy uncle that's drunk at the end of the bar. That's who honest Alabama fans are today. And so let me play that out. You go into the bar and you say, I'm not drinking too much tonight, but I'm going to enjoy this drink that I have. Alabama fans say, look, we're not going to win at all. We know that. This team is too flawed. We're not going to win at all. But please, Lord, let us win this game. Oh, don't let us lose to Auburn. Let us win this game. We win that game. Well, I'll have another. Oh, let us beat Georgia. I mean, I know they're a better team than we are probably, but let us have this game. Let us let us have this moment. And we do. And, of course, you get in the first round of the playoffs. And from here, hey, I can see the distance. And so I'm not going to drink too much. But, uh, boy, I'll take this third one. And, uh, and here we are. We're in the game. And uh, we're probably lit up more than we should be, but we're all having a good time. And so that's the way we need to play. It's fans. That's the way we need to play this. Man, we're on house money right now. And so let's enjoy this week leading up to the title game. Can we win it? Of course we can win it. Will we win it? I don't know. That's a whole other thing. But uh, we're playing house money now. And uh, so let's enjoy the heck out of this. Uh, The biggest sort of question I have in my mind, 
is will this Alabama team be the 2011 LSU team? Hey, we've already beat them. We've already won. We're going to go out there, and we're just going to do it again. We've done it once. We're going to do it again. And that LSU team, they didn't do it again. Uh, or will this Alabama team be, I hate to say bully, but will they be the tough guy that stands up and says, oh, you want some more of this? And they have more of it to deliver. I'm rooting for the second, but we'll see. Uh, I do find it interesting, all of the talk about Georgia, oh, well, we didn't play our best game in the SEC championship. Really? We didn't bring our best. We didn't bring all that we had to the SEC championship game. Why well, ask this question? If you couldn't bring your best to Atlanta from Athens, then how the hell are you going to get it all the way up to Indianapolis? Well, I don't know how that works. I think if they didn't bring their best to the SEC, then they may not be capable of bringing their best. They took a pretty good game down to Miami, uh, but they were playing Michigan. They weren't playing this Alabama team again. I think Alabama needs to figure out how to cover the tight end. That's been a running joke on the podcast and on the Zoom calls. Saban's not laughing at it, but I laugh when he says it in the pressers. That's what Alabama needs to solve for, covering that tight end. Georgia, I think, has a lot more to resolve. There's a lot more space in their head rented out rented out uh, to Alabama. There's a, a lot more, oh, we got to play that team again, in their heads more so than there is in the Alabama um, in the Alabama helmets. I think, and I'm hoping that the media is going to do their job and the media is going to brew up another batch of that good old rat poison. They're already projecting Georgia's the favorite. Georgia didn't play their best. Georgia didn't do this. Georgia didn't do that. If Georgia plays Alabama like they played Michigan, boy, it's going to be a different ball game. Keep writing those articles. Keep posting that on the Twitter machine and keep headlining that on the ESPNs because that, as Saban said, is yummy. If that plays out, if this Alabama team is not the 2011 LSU team, if this Alabama team relishes the fact that you want some more of this because we got some more of it, and they play like that, and they learn to cover the tight end, I think it's a closer game, but I think Alabama prevails. I think as we sit here, I look at it as a 24-17 to type ball game. And uh, we may uh, reprise that as, as we get closer. Uh, you got to join the Zoom call the Saturday before uh, the next Monday's uh, championship game. Hopefully you'll join. We'll spend a lot of time talking about the Cincinnati game, and we'll spend a lot of time talking about uh, the Georgia game. Again, hats off to Cincinnati. They deserved it, and they deserved uh, to, to take the field. They deserved to make the, the playoffs. I do think they set an edge case, and I think honest Cincinnati fans uh, will understand that. And I think from a university standpoint, they understand that to the degree that they're moving to the Big 12. They're moving to uh, a big conference. The Cincinnati team probably takes a little bit of a step back next year as they're losing a lot of seniors. But as long as they have Luke Fickle uh, running the ship there, I was very impressed uh, with Fickle, everything that I saw and heard and read. Uh, about him. I think he's truly building something there in Cincinnati. It's not a one-hit wonder. And I do think, and and I can't remember where I originally read this, but I do think that um, when they arrive in the Big 12, 
they will be uniquely positioned uh, to do well in that conference. Obviously, Texas and Oklahoma aren't there. Uh, we don't know what that new conference competitively is, is going to look like, but Cincinnati is going to pull uh, some uh, some really fertile recruiting ground into uh, the Big 12, and uh, being a member of the Big 12, that will open up recruiting uh, territories to them that they have previously, uh, to which they've previously not had access. So I think Fickle, um, if he's about program building, he can really build something there in Cincinnati, and so that will be uh, that will be a fun thing to watch. Not giving them more credit than I think they're due. I just think that's an if if they were a stock, I would buy into it. I'll tell you that uh, for certain. But really proud of the way this Alabama team played. Uh, had a little bit of fun with Jamo's decision to take the ball out, although that it was really really annoying. I wish he had not. But this Alabama team, I think, is poised for um, they're poised for the game against Georgia. We got to sort out the offensive line. This team has to play again its best game of, of the season. We need to figure out that damn tight end because he is a Superman uh, type player. And um, and then we just need to relish the fact that that very few are going to pick Alabama over uh, Georgia uh, this next uh, this next time around. And um, as they as they did the, the first time, they're going to double down. And I think that's going to bode well for sort of the underdog mentality that this team plays with uh, and execute with. All right, I'm going to wrap it. This has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tie. Got that, coach? Of course. Roll Tide.